Wow. Amen, huh? Thank you, worship team. Man, that is so true, right? We are free. We are free in Christ. In a world that wants to enslave us to sin, we are free in Christ. So praise the Lord uh, for that great worship this morning. Thank you for being here, Kernan Church. Good morning to you. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Matthew chapter 28. And if you don't have one, that's okay. Uh, you can look on the screen. We're going to be reading on the screen as well today. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. So as you know, uh, we are going through this four-week sermon series. So we are in week three of four um, in a series about sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And so that's what we're looking at. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about how can we, uh, as Christians, talk to other people about Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Christ, sharing the good news, sharing the gospel uh, with others. And so we see in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we see Jesus before he ascends into heaven, after he rose from the grave, he's going back to heaven, he's leaving the earth. Uh, and so he talks to his disciples, he's telling them some very important things, and one of the most important things he tells them is this. He tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful that you have promised to be with us to the end of this age. Because there is a, another, there's another age coming, Lord. There's another era, time period coming where you will return and time as we know it will end and we will live forever with you in eternity in heaven, Lord, for those of us who have truly turned to you to be our Savior. For those of us who have turned to you in faith. So Lord, we await that eternal glory. We await heaven. But in the meantime, you have given us a mission in the meantime, Lord, you have commanded us to go out into this world where we live our lives and try to bring as many people with us to eternity and to a relationship with you as we can. Lord, this is not easy. We admit that this is very difficult for us, and so we fully depend on your power through your Holy Spirit. So speak to us through your word and encourage us today and help us. Give us that encouragement we need. Give us the courage and the boldness we need. Would you give us wisdom through your word today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So sometimes I'll have to go you know, downtown or perhaps to another part of the city to a hospital or something like that that I'm not really familiar with. And so I, I didn't grow up in Jacksonville I, and I've lived here for over two years now, um, but I'm, you know, getting my way around pretty well. Uh, but what I'll do is when I have to go to a destination I'm not super familiar with, I'll type in the location, of course, in my GPS on my phone, on Google Maps. And it normally provides three different options, 
right? So there's three different routes I can take. Uh, one route may be all interstate and a little quicker. Uh, the, other way, the other route may be, you know, a more scenic route uh, and not as, uh, but, you know, a little longer, but more of a straight shot, not as quite not quite as much mileage, right? So there's, there's never one right way to get somewhere when I type in that address to where I'm going, but there's definitely wrong ways, right? And what I mean is there's wrong ways to drive, right? You shouldn't, in theory, or, well, man, I shouldn't say that. Legally, you should not break the speed limit, right? Um, <laughs> some of us, are give us give ourselves a little more leeway than others, okay? Uh, but, you know, we shouldn't drive at night with our lights off, right? I mean, there's definitely wrong ways to get somewhere. You don't go off-roading through people's yards, right, to get to the destination just because it's a quicker shot, right? So there's definitely wrong ways to get somewhere, but there's really not just one right way. But, hey, there's different uh, conditions that may determine where you go and the route you take, such as traffic or road closures or weather. So there's always going to be different conditions to determine the best way for you to get to your destination. Well, in a very similar way, there is no one right way to have a conversation with someone about Jesus, right? There, there, there's, no, there's no just one formula. There's no one specific route that you have to take every time when you're talking to someone about Jesus. Why? Because guess what? There's going to be different conditions. So just as the driving conditions may dictate or determine the route you take, there's going to be different conditions with the person you're talking to, the context you're in, and where they are, and their understanding, and, and their knowledge. So you're going to have to take some different routes in different ways at different times with every person. Now, last week, we uh, gave you this handout, right? My Circles of Influence. So if, if you were not here last week, uh, that's okay. You can take out your phone and maybe start a note, okay? Or you could write this on a scrap sheet of paper. But if you, don't, if you didn't bring this back, I hope you kept it. I hope it's somewhere safe uh, at your house or in your purse or whatever. But uh, we had this handout called My Circles of Influence and in other words, this, these are people, right? I ask you to write down the names of people in your life of whose salvation you are unsure. So who in your life, and when I say your life, I mean your family. So here's the categories, right? Family or relatives, uh, neighbors in your neighborhood or your apartment complex, coworkers that you work with, business associates you do business with, people you know through sports or other kinds of activities, people you know in your school, or just plain friends for, for whatever reason, who in those areas of your life, who of them are you unsure if they know the Lord or not, right? And so I ask you to write down those names because every situation and every person that you encounter on that list is going to be very different, right? Different upbringings, different backstories, different presuppositions in their minds about beliefs, different culture, different interests. So the way that we need to engage these folks in your circles of influence is going to depend on the person, right? Now, I want to be clear, there is one destination, right? There's one message that we all want to arrive at at some point because there's one savior Jesus Christ who has done a very specific thing to save us 
But the way we get to that, right, the way we get to the point of talking about that specific message of the gospel and the way we communicate with others and engage them needs to be in a way that resonates with the person we're trying to reach. So today, we're talking about getting to the gospel, all right? Next week, we're going to focus more on what to actually say when you're sharing the gospel specifically with someone, but today, we're talking more about how to get to even that point, right? How do you get to the message with those people whose names you wrote down? We're talking about getting to know someone better through good dialogue, good conversation that eventually opens the door for the gospel to be presented. Now listen, I will be the first to admit that I need guidance. I need help with this myself, right? I need to hear this as much as you. Uh, so, so you're going to hear me quote other people more than usual today because there's a lot of people out there with uh, much more wisdom and much more experience in this area than me. But here's the main question I want us to ask this morning. How can we pave the way now for gospel conversations to happen later? How can we pave the way with the names of the people that you wrote on that list or maybe you're writing today for the first time, type it out on your phone, right? Write it on a scrap sheet of paper. Please write this down or just remember them. But those names of people in your life you don't know if they know Jesus Christ. You don't know where they're going to spend eternity. They've made no indication to you that they're a Christian, or maybe they say they're a Christian, or they even say that they belong to some church, but they never, they never go, they never act like they know the Lord. There's no evidence that they're truly a believer. Whoever that is in your life, how can you pave the way now to have a gospel conversation with them later? Number one. We have to commit to the long haul. The first thing we have to convince ourselves of if we're going to truly try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is we have to commit to the long haul. One obvious characteristic of our society is that we are very results driven. And so we try to expedite every process and as soon as we accomplish one thing, we just want to move on to the next, right? Well, in the corporate world, hey, maybe that's great. But when you're trying to win someone to Christ, not so much a great method. In his book, Mere Evangelism, Randy Newman, and that's the author, by the way, not the Toy Story singer, Randy Newman, just to be clear. <laughs> in his book, Mere Evangelism, Randy Newman talks about the concept of what he calls pre-evangelism. Or in other words, preparations for receiving the gospel. In other words, a lot of conversations may need to happen before the specifics of the gospel with someone are achieved, right? He says this, he says, people's underlying beliefs about themselves, God, and the world either set them up for belief in the gospel or for the rejection of it. Some assumptions pave the way for acceptance. Others need to be torn down. In other words, you may have to talk to someone about whether or not there is, ultimate, there is such a thing as ultimate and absolute truth before you even get to the gospel. Perhaps the first thing they need to be convinced of is that there is absolute truth in the world before you tell them about the truth is found in Jesus Christ. 
Tim Keller says, many people process from unbelief to faith through many decisions. That's M-I-N-I, many decisions. He makes it clear. You are either in good standing with God or you're not. So there is a one-time definite decision to follow Christ at the point of salvation. But before that point, there may be dozens, if not hundreds of many decisions, little decisions that pave the way for you to hear the gospel and receive the gospel. So the person that you're trying to witness to may have no idea of a biblical understanding of the word sin. They may not know what the word sin actually means. They may not know what the word grace actually means. They they may need to make a decision that they believe in an absolute right or wrong before they accept the Bible's teaching on sin and grace. So there's going to be lots of little conversations that you're going to have to have with some people before they really truly follow Jesus as their Savior. And that's okay. But we've got to be willing to commit to the long haul. So with that in mind, let's take a a closer look at the Great Commission that we read just a second ago and what Jesus actually says in it, okay? I want us to, to really think about his words here. So Matthew 28, 19 and 20 again. Jesus told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, okay? So notice that it doesn't just say, hey, go make converts, Jesus doesn't say, go and get as many people to sign up for Jesus as you can real quick. Go and get as many people as you can to say a quick prayer, raise their hand, and commit to following Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says, go and make disciples. And then he says to teach them. Now, here's the thing. Dustin, Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe say in their book, Life on Mission, a great, a great little book on, on sharing the gospel with others. They say, the Great Commission calls us not simply to make converts, but to make disciples. So as we invest in people's lives, we help them continue to take the next step toward Jesus with the hope that one day they will become a reproducing everyday missionary as well. So hear me. The friendship you build with the non-Christian in your life now is going to set the stage for a strong discipleship relationship later after they come to know Christ, right? So, So this means we're not just trying to win converts quickly and see how many people we can add to the church role, right? So we can tell it to the state convention and say, hey, look, hey, look at all the people that came to Kernan. Hey, look at all the people we baptized. I mean, hey, that's great. But this means that we need to take the time to invest in people's lives long-term. That's what a disciple is, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He says, no, 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 you need to make more disciples. Jesus is talking to a group of guys he's been walking around with for three years. And now he's telling them to go make more disciples and to teach them all that Jesus taught them. That's going to take time. That's going to take a long time. We we need to be 
better friends with people if that's what that means. We need to take the time to discover what may attract someone to the gospel or detract them from it. So if we're just rushing through this, I mean, hear me out. If we're just rushing through this with the names on your list, just trying to force them to make some kind of decision that they don't really understand what they're saying or doing, it may actually have the opposite effect and push them further away. So making a convert doesn't take much time, but making a disciple is usually going to take a lot of your time and a lot of your investment into their life. And I just don't know that a lot of us want to do that. I mean, we're busy. You know, that's the greatest excuse that I hear. And hey, I'm, I'm with you. I hear it. I feel it in my own life. I feel it in my own heart. Oh man, I'm so busy. I don't have time to like make another friend, especially another friend who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't go to church with me. And I mean, I don't know, right? But I think if we're going to be obedient to what Jesus is actually asking us to do, man, we have to, we have to lay down our own pride and our own schedules and say, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest in this person's life because their soul matters. It means being ready and willing to commit to the long haul. Second thing I want us to see, how can we pave the way now for gospel conversations to happen later? The second thing is we have to meet people where they are. The, the names on your list, meet them where they are, right? Because every person on that list is going to be so very different. And so what I mean is, you know, some, some people are raised in church, and, and so they're going to know what you mean when you say Moses and the burning bush, Right? Other people are not raised in church, and when you say Moses and burning some bush, who knows what they're thinking about, okay? So some, some may have, oh, hey man, I want to meet your friend Moses, okay, right? Some people are going to have a better understanding of the Bible already, but some people aren't going to have a clue, and that's okay, right? So we can't speak to them as if they already know what we're talking about. Some people may believe in another religion altogether. So everyone we try to witness to is going to be very different and have different social backgrounds, spend their time in different kinds of places, and they're all going to think differently about the world around them. So what do we need to do then? Again, we need to humble ourselves. We need to lay down our pride. And you know what? We have to be willing and ready to encounter these people on their playing field, so to speak. Right? And again, this goes back to committing to the long haul. I mean, we may need to engage some of these people where they are, not ask them to come where we are. We need to go where they are. We need to talk about the things that matter to them. L listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He says this so well. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 23, here's how Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, by the way, here's how he did this. Here's how he paved the way with people to have those gospel conversations. Listen to this. You can read along on the screen with me. For though, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. 
To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Listen to this. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And isn't that amazing? The apostle Paul so deeply He was so deeply moved in his own heart and soul for the betterment of others. He was so deeply moved that he wanted other people to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ just like he had found. And he knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to run away from Jesus, to hate Jesus, because that was his former life. But then Jesus got a hold of his heart and changed him forever. And Paul's like, you know what, man? I am not letting another day go by with other people living the way I used to live, running away from the Lord and not knowing his love and his tenderness and his grace and his forgiveness. And Paul says, so I'm going to do whatever it takes, man. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get to know people and I'm going to go where they are and I'm going to learn their customs and I'm going to learn their language and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to know them, to show them that I love them, that I care about where they are going to spend eternity. He says, I'm going to become all things to all people, not for the sake of myself, but for the sake of the gospel. Man, praise the Lord that this is in the scriptures for us to read 2,000 years later. Paul was doing it then. Can we not do it now? Whatever it takes, he says. But you know who else? Jesus Christ. Jesus modeled this perfectly. When he engaged with somebody, you know what? He met them where they were. Look at this, Luke 19, verses 1 through 7. Listen to this story real quick. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, so nobody liked him, right? And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature, so he was short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, to Zacchaeus, said to him, what did he say? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, listen to this, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The high and mighty people who thought they were so religious pointed their finger at Jesus and said, I can't believe you're eating in a sinner's house. And I just wonder if maybe some of us are a little afraid that somebody else we know who's a Christian is going to find out that we went over to that person's house or we invited them into our house to have dinner. Why are you hanging out with them? Matthew chapter 9, listen to this, Jesus did it again. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I can't believe this, right? 
That's what the Pharisees are thinking, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing eating with them? Verse 12, but when he heard it, this is Jesus speaking, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You see that? It's not just Paul becoming all things to all people. Jesus went into the homes of the people that we would call sinners, right? Because Jesus knew the reality that we're all sinners and we all need his grace equally and desperately. Jesus knew who needed him and he knew whose hearts were ripe to hear the gospel and understand and believe in him. He knew the sick were the ones who needed him. And he went to those people. He went into their homes. And the high and the mighty religious people were like, man, we can't even believe he's eating with those people. And I wonder and I ask, are we meeting non-Christians where they are? And I mean literally and spiritually. I mean, hey, hear me out. There is, there is nothing wrong with you inviting your neighbor to church but listen to me, if your neighbor is not a Christian and you never show any interest in getting to know them as a friend, why on earth would they want to come with you, basically a stranger, to a religious gathering? Meet them where they are. And then eventually... Maybe they'll come where we are. Number three, we have to build connection points. So not just commit to the long haul, which involves all of this. Meet them where they are, but also be intentional. Build points of connection with that person. So find things to talk about. Think of activities to do with them or ways to help them with something, right? I mean, just think about the current best friends you have. Who, who are your top one, two, three best friends right now, currently in your life? And then think, why are they my best friends? Well, because you have connected with them in some very strong way, right? That's why. I mean, we don't hang out with people we don't really connect with, right? You're like, well, I mean, you haven't met my spouse. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we have to connect. The, the sermon series on marriages later, okay? We have to connect with people, right, so that we can get to know them, so that we can share something in common with them, right? And that's why you hang out with the people you do, because you share something in common with them. It could be an experience or a life stage that you went through together, right? It could be a sport. It could be a hobby. It could just be something of a shared interest. Whatever it is, there's some kind of reason that you connect with that person, right? So for the people for the people who are not Christians in your circles of influence, the same thing is going to be true when paving the way towards gospel conversations. So how can you build better connections with the people in your circles of influence? Tim Keller gives some practical tips I think are really good. All right? here, these are just practical tips right here. Do recreational activities with them. 
right? Watch sports, invite them over or go to their house to watch a sporting event or maybe join a fantasy football league with them or an actual sports league with them. Invite them to work out with you at the gym, right? Go out of your way to eat with them as often as you can. So invite them out to lunch, right? Invite people over for a meal in your house or your apartment or or just inviting them out to try a new restaurant maybe together. Plan trips or or outings. Go to the beach, right? Or go to a historical site or go down to St. Augustine or something with them. If the person has a, a skill or an interest, ask them sincerely to educate you. Organize a book club and don't invite any Christians. Seriously, organize a book club, read a non-Christian book and invite non-Christians. What a wonderful way to meet people. What a wonderful way to get to know people and then pave the way to have gospel conversations. As you talk about the contents of that book, you're leading them to another book. Do you see that? So the bottom line, the bottom line is be creative. Find a way, find a point of connection and then build on it. Number four. Lastly, steer towards meaningful conversations. We're not just trying to make friends, right? That's part of it. But we also want to have depth, right? So it's not just superficial. So if you're meeting people where they are, if you're building connection points and spending time with them, then at some point you need to think about steering the conversation towards meaningful things about life. I mean, let's be real. You can only talk about the weather so much, right? (laughs) It's like everybody's go-to thing. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. Nice weather day, right? Huh? Yeah, sure. Okay, see you later, right? But it's those meaningful conversations that may actually be the springboard to actually sharing about Jesus with them. And, And hey, just to be clear, right? I mean, by this point, if you're, if you're, meeting them where they are, if you're building connection points and you're spending time with them, listen, they should know you're a Christian, okay, right? Even just if you've told them, yeah, I go to church, right? That may be all you've said. Yeah, I I go to Kernan Church and, you know, I'm a Christian. Okay, great, right? But they should know that you're a Christian. But what we're talking about here is waiting for the right moment to actually share the gospel with them explicitly. Listen Listen to how Jesus did this in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we're going to read it in just a second. He's having a conversation with a woman at a well. She's there to get her water for the day. And Jesus, he uses that everyday example of needing water physically, right, to turn, to, to nourish us. He uses that and turns the conversation into a spiritual conversation, into something meaningful. Listen to this, John chapter four, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus so beautifully and so tactfully turns the conversation from something about an everyday normal activity, drinking water, needing water for sustenance. He uses that, he uses the imagery of water, and he turns the conversation into something more meaningful. 
Paul did something very similar. In Acts chapter 17, when he was in Athens, Greece, speaking in a place called the Areopagus, and I want you to watch how he meets them where they are, right? He uses their own beliefs, right? So Paul knows their beliefs. He even quotes one of their own poets. What is Paul doing? He's building a connection, right? He's meeting them where they are. And he's steering the conversation towards meaningful things about life, paving the way for him to talk about Jesus and the gospel. Listen to this. Now, this is a little lengthy, but just read it along with me on the screen and pay attention because I want you to see this, right? This is a perfect example of of Paul turning the conversation into something meaningful by meeting them where they are and their level of understanding and building a connection. Listen. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even, I love this, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Did you see that? It was so tactful and so winsome you know man I would love to meet Paul he became all things to all people here he is he's a Jew in the ancient world and here he is in Athens Greece a place where you could argue he doesn't really belong in terms of culture and society right and in those days What business does Paul have doing in Athens, Greece? But there he is becoming all things to all people. He's learning their culture. He's learning the things that they, he's reading the things they read. I mean, did you catch that? He's quoting their own poetry. That means that he's read it himself. He's doing whatever it takes to get to know them, to meet them where they are, to have a good understanding of their view of the world. And then what does he do? He paves the way for a gospel conversation. The author I quoted earlier, Randy Newman, he talks about this. 
He says, just pick one of God's, pick, pick one aspect of God's world to discuss with someone. Again, you're committed to the long haul, right? So that means that you have been meeting them where they are, you've been building a connection, and now you're steering the conversation towards something meaningful. And what do you say? Newman says, if they love art and beauty, point them to the one who made our world so beautiful. If they value family, explore how God made us to be social beings. We can drop ideas like these into our conversations one at a time. There's no need to make a big deal of it at first, but let's, let's ask God to develop these conversations into discussions of Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you see that? Let's ask God to help us develop these conversations into discussions about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and what that means. That's what we're going to talk about in more detail next week as we conclude this series. I, want, I don't want to end this series without telling you and talking about how to actually verbalize those truths to someone. But for now, look for these open doors to make comments about the deeper issues of life so that when the timing is right, when the timing is right, when you do talk about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, guess what? The Holy Spirit has already been working in their heart through those little conversations that you've been paving the way with. The Lord is working in those. He's preparing them to receive the gospel and be saved. So do not underestimate those little meaningful moments of conversation that you're having with the people in your circles of influence. It may be a family member, maybe a neighbor. You may work with them. Maybe you just know them through your kids' sporting activity or other activity. Maybe you go to school with them. Maybe they're just a friend for whatever reason. But do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you to pave the way for those gospel conversations to happen later.